Welcome everybody to the first official episode of What They Aren't Telling You, which is my new podcast to discuss social and political issues that we are encountering today in the world and dissecting them a little bit and maybe looking into some unpopular opinions, which tends to be where I line up these days. Um, We'll talk about stuff as it relates to coronavirus and what's happening with that. We're going to talk about race relations and the black community. And specifically, I'm really interested in black conservatives and how, again, that's an unpopular opinion. Everybody who is listening now probably has followed me on social media and they know that I already hold the unpopular opinion on the coronavirus or it was unpopular at the beginning. But I think a lot of people have come around to sort of agreeing with that opinion. I also want to talk about uh, law enforcement. I want to talk about nurses in hospitals during COVID. I want to talk about parenthood, specifically motherhood, and um, and then go into all sorts. I have like the longest list of topics that I kind of want to just bring to the table. And this, I'm going to have some interviews with people you know, and I'm going to have some interviews with people you don't. And it doesn't matter that you don't know them um, because it's really about the content of the conversation. And so I'm really interested in these complex, controversial discussions that really create these polarizing opinions and how we get to a situation where you're either completely on one side or completely on the other side. And there's really no in between. And anybody who studied even just the littlest bit of psychology or sociology understands that when things are complex, you have all these different layers. There's really no way to be on one side extreme either way. Because there are so many individualistic approaches to something that's complex. And there's so many exceptions. There's really not like everything is one way. And I really wish as a society, we would get to a place where we can accept that, accept the fact that it doesn't have to be one way or the other, because I think that's really um, discouraging an actual discussion where we make headway and find solutions and find a way to compromise on things. Because There's no compromising when you have two extreme sides of an argument. So I tend to be the most interested in the side of the argument you don't hear, the one you're not seeing in the media, the one that's not covered on the news, and the one that's probably not accepted even socially in social circles or amongst your peers. And so that's kind of what I want to go into on this podcast. Uh, Again, they're going to be all different types of topics, and we're going to go lots of different places. And some of it's going to be emotional. Some of it's going to be dramatic. Some of it's going to be funny, I hope. (laughs) Somewhere along the line, there'll be something to laugh about. I don't know. There's not a lot lot to laugh about these days. But anyway, the first episode I want to go into is discussing the Black community. I think right now it's it's really one of these things you cannot not talk about because we're in a situation where we've just had the murder and there's really no question that this is a murder of a man named George Floyd and him as a black man this was at the hands of a white cop and it sort of created an entire world response to this being an issue of racial inequality 
and you've got people in law enforcement saying this doesn't look like it was racially motivated. You have people in the black community saying this doesn't look like it was racially motivated. And every time that you've got a white cop and a black suspect, this is instantly where the media wants to go with it. So, of course, I you know, wanted to delve a little deeper in this. I find all this stuff really interesting. So if you've been following my posts on social media, you know I've been posting about it. And I'll be honest with you, I've had lots of people unfollow me as a result um, in the hundreds. But ironically, I've gained twice that in people that started following me. I've had people in the medical freedom movement unfollow me because of my desire and curiosity and willingness to sort of delve deeper into this issue without just accepting it as one way. Does that mean when you question things, does it mean that you don't believe black lives are important or that they matter or that you don't believe that there is racial injustice or that there are people that are the victims of racially motivated crimes? Of course, that's not what it means. That's not what it means at all. And I think anybody who has seen my posts and discussed this with me, they feel the same way. This is not about whether or not you support equality for all. You can still see when something's maybe being politically backed and there might be an agenda to it. And it, you know, once you go through COVID and kind of realize the facts that I've been researching for the past five months, it's really hard to think that things are just the way the media says they are, because my data shows a different conclusion. And that's actual data from around the world. So when you know it's happening there. I've also done a ton of research in the vaccine debate. When you know that not everything, all the studies are actually being honest, they're not honestly representing the information and they're not really talking about those who are at risk and how there is a risk for a portion of individuals, children and adults, and how that's not being discussed publicly. As soon as you see that, it's a lot easier. So really, it's a lot easier to really look at what's happening in any major issue in our country and kind of see what the media wants Americans to feel about it, what they're trying to push as far as action steps and what political parties behind it. And I know some people might say, oh, you know, this is not all political, but and maybe it's just because it's an election year. It's it sure seems to be all political. I mean, everything I've seen in the last five months, it's all political. I mean, there's really a political basis to everything. The question why or who's benefiting, I don't know all those answers. But I'm always curious about, you know, uh, discussing this maybe differently. With all the tension that's happening, and the you know, this discussion of race relations, I think it's silly for people to be discussing this without quote, amplifying black voices. It's just funny that only certain black people are allowed to speak about this because if they don't hold the popular opinion, then somehow that's not valid. Well, if you know me, you know I don't agree with that. And so my goal is to bring that unpopular opinion, something I find really interesting. A lot of black conservatives that are speaking on race and culture, but speaking in a different way about it. And our first guest, my first guest, I'm so used to saying R because of me and Dr. Bob, but my first guest today is going to be a gentleman I came across after viewing a really cool kind of panel video where they were discussing the black community, race relations, what's going on in the world today. And I was really interested in it and his perspective. And I was lucky enough to get in contact with him and invite him to be part of the conversation so that we can all 
benefit from learning different perspectives, different experiences. And I'm really excited for this conversation today. This is Chi Brown of Consider Culture. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. He and I talked the other day for quite a long time. I think I told him it was going to be five or 10 minutes, but <laughs> it didn't quite work out that way because there's so much interesting stuff here. And he was so easy to talk to and had so much to share that um, all my little light bulbs were going off like, yeah, let's let's go into this. Let's go into this multiple times. And this will be the first episode. We're also going to do some Facebook lives um, or Instagram lives. And, and discuss current events and what's going on as it relates specifically to race and culture. So before we kind of go into our questions, she tell me or tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into a position where you wanted to start speaking on this stuff with your blog, social media, and why you created Consider Culture. Yeah, actually, Consider Culture was... Um the idea of it was to create a documentary. I've done documentaries in the past, and uh, I thought that considered culture would basically document some of the uh, black conservatives that I had been following at the time or people who had more conservative ideas about race. So I was um, reading a lot of John McWhorter at the time, um, Shelby Steele, and um, had just been introduced to Thomas Sowell. And I thought that what would it be like to kind of interview people who had those kinds of thoughts on race. And uh, it just, it was a, a different view that I hadn't heard in uh, the mainstream media or, you know, in, in hip hop or in, in eighties hip hop, I heard a lot about um, particular authors or particular people who were involved in, in the race discussion at the time. And mm -hmm. you'd hear about, you know, Farrakhan and people like that, but you never heard about the Thomas souls. So I thought that it would be really great to, to bring those voices um, to the public. And uh, and what year was I, this that you're talking about? Um, this was probably around 2007-ish, I believe. Okay. And, um, and I was coming off of having uh, these discussions. I had a blog on um, uh, blackplanet.com, which is a, a very early social media site, and it's still probably around. There was that. Um, there was a MySpace, which had a blog section on your on your um, site, on your page. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I definitely had um, several blogs up on MySpace that, that dealt with this. And so all of these blogs, all, all of the discussion you were having was specifically about race and culture. Was it all about how black people view their role and their community amongst the world in general? Or what was kind of like the main focus? Or was it about the conservatism? That's the interesting thing. It wasn't about conservatism at first. I wasn't a conservative um, early on. I, I, I still haven't even, I haven't voted Republican at all for any presidential candidate anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't a conservative. I just was becoming aware of conservative thought on race. And I had always had these kind of ideas about race, not necessarily having anything to do with politics. It wasn't until I started to read more of these these uh, perspectives that I started to understand the politics behind some of, um, you know, some of the policy issues that have probably created some of the situations that, that uh, some Blacks find themselves in. You know, it's interesting, as you talk about the difference between being conservative as it relates to maybe ideology, family values, the way you look at certain things versus being conservative politically. I think it's I think most people don't make that 
you know, distinct uh, distinction. I think most people tend to think you're a conservative. Oh, you're a Republican. And I think it's interesting what you're saying, because maybe many people that consider themselves conservative um, culturally or within their world, as far as their traditional values or whatnot, um, may be independent, uh, registered, you know, registered independents. And maybe they don't just go along with they're not right wing, so to speak. Um, right. What do you see as the difference between the two being conservative politically and being conservative in your viewpoint? For me, you know, I guess a conservative view on race is to basically believe that that, that racism isn't a huge issue in America. While I think that that others who don't have the conservative view think that racism is a huge problem in America and it's something that has to be found in every single thing and 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 talked about and discussed and and you know the more conservative view is to look at yourself as an individual and kind of and kind of focus on on you know your own ideas and be free to to be open minded about things in regards to race you know we're kind of in this place in life where everybody wants to distinguish themselves maybe just i don't know if that's part mm-hmm. of an importance thing but you're this religion i'm this religion you're this political party i'm this political party you're this sex i'm this sex you're this race it's like we we want to have all these categories that we distinguish ourselves and i don't know if that's a way to find identity or what but the problem when we do that is we separate ourselves from being the you're human i'm human and it becomes all that we look at. So I feel like kind of with what's going on, there's a lot of that hyper attention to race. And like you're saying earlier, I don't really know if that's going to actually have the effect of bringing everybody together. How do you bring people together when you're literally pointing out how different you are? Right. And that's an excellent point. I think that, uh, you know, we talked about a, a cultural shift before, and I think there has been uh, a huge cultural shift. And it's, and again, it happened sometime uh, during the Obama administration, and it just seems like everybody just became hyper focused on race, and it's really changed a lot of things. I, I don't remember t- discussing race nearly this much before. I'm thinking it was around 2012. So, so you have, you know, the issues with. Um, and, you know, social media plays a big role in this, of course, because people are, are able to make these things go viral and send them out to everybody. Everybody being on social media now, they're they're more aware mm-hmm. of these issues. But I don't think that all the intricate details of of these situations that are happening, particularly, you know, police shootings are are known to people. They only know what they see, um, what they're given. And they don't know, for instance, um, Black people are being shot by police officers, but nobody's talking about the fact that white people are also being shot by police officers or Hispanics or or Native Americans who are the most disproportionately killed group by police. They're, they're the most have the most disproportionate rate of police shootings. So nobody knows these things. So all you have to go on is, OK, black people are being shot. That must mean that police are racist. Yeah, but you're not comparing it to anything. There's there's no comparison because nobody's shown you anything else. So you just have this idea that that America is this terrible, horrible place because the media puts one particular instance of police killings over another. You know, then you start having to ask why that is. And that's the kinds of questions that I'm asking are, are why why is it that the media is so focused on these particular events when they're not focused on these other ones that are that pretty much mirror the, the, the ones that are happening to black people? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense except to think that 
you know, one, there's money in it. Um, two, there's there's the political aspect where where people are using these things. You know, black people have a lot more political power than Native Americans. So to focus on Native American deaths at the hands of police isn't going to be beneficial to many people. And 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 for for media who makes money off of ad revenue, you know, there's not a lot of uh, Native Americans that they're they're marketing to. So mm-hmm. how do you even how, how do you sell this stuff? Those clicks matter uh, to advertisers. And, it, you know, the, the larger the, the group that's going to to see those ads, the ben- the more beneficial it is. So I think it's, it's it benefits people. These race race benefits a lot of people and eliminating it will hurt a lot of people. So there's a lot of people who are invested in keeping this topic on our lips. That's super interesting. And, you know, I was having a discussion with somebody today. We we're talking about he's talking about uh well, you know, what's going on right now is really, um, it's not really so much about race. Everybody's really up in arms about police brutality. And I was like, well, that can't be the case because nobody's talking about the police brutality to any other race. So if it really was about police brutality, it would be like, here are 10 examples. Here's video footage, 10 examples of different times that law enforcement used excessive force and it has to stop. That's not what you see. You're only seeing the ones that are have to do with racial disparity there. And then that becomes the topic. The topic is race. The topic is not really police brutality, because to me, that's like a different issue. If we want to talk about police brutality, then you have to incorporate the other things like you're talking about. And of course, now you made me interested in looking up some data on Native American killings as it relates to cops. And I'll look that up and come back and report on that. But and moving ahead to a question before we hear kind of about how you grew up, which I'm really interested in, because you just mentioned it. I saw in one of your videos, so Chi has these great videos on his um, his social media, and we'll give you um, the location to where to go to watch these at the end of this episode, where he talks about different topics. And in one of the topics that I first clicked on that I was really interested in, you had this kind of great quote where you basically said, you know, the me- all the media really cares about is, this is your quote, preserving the narrative that racism is alive and well in America. It made me think of that when you were just talking about people are invested People are actually invested in the race discussion. And in order for that race to still be a discussion, you know, for the race topic to be a discussion, there has to be controversy. There has to be a problem there because or else there'd be no need to cover it. And so um, explain to me a little bit about what you meant with that quote about preserving this narrative that racism is alive and well, like almost like it feels kind of the way you're saying, almost like it's a, a proud thing for some people to sit there and be like, see, I told you, racism is alive and well. Here's proof of it. Like, why would anybody want that to be the case? But it's almost like there's a reason for it. So so tell me more about that. Yeah, like I said, it, there is incentive for all these people to to say this. I was talking about a moment ago the um, the benefits to to media and to politicians, but to just normal average people, there's also incentive as well. I think... This deals with with people, you know, kind of thinking of themselves in terms of their race more so than they do as of an in, as an individual. And that's mm-hmm. that um, individualism versus being a part of this collective group. So a lot of black people see themselves as black first. I think, you know, looking if you, now they're comparing in their mind different different races in America, and you see blacks having problems um, economically, blacks having problems um, with education. And people can continue to pick in and prod at all those issues that involve black people, but it may not involve them, but they feel like they're a part of that group. 
So if so many black people are doing poorly in education, you feel like it's, it somehow impacts you. Even if you're, you know, you've reached like, I, I think in that video, I said Oprah levels of success, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you reach, if you become a billionaire, you're still, you still are invested in the fact that you're, you're black and black people have all these problems. So then you have to explain where those problems came from. And it's not, it doesn't feel good to say, well, we need to do better or to say that there are portions of the culture that are, that need to change because they they continue to get these poor outcomes. Right. So it's more comfortable to say, well, that's because of racism or, or someone else did, did that to us. We didn't do it ourselves. And for whites, I think, you know, it feels good to, to relieve some of the white guilt to be able to say, you know, white people are bad. White people, white people did this to these black people. And you need to acknowledge that, that white people are privileged and all of this other stuff. I think that that gives them some amount of, uh, you know, what, what do you call it? Virtue signaling. So that's, that's definitely how I see. And, and as far as preserving the narrative, a lot of times I end up talking to people, I end up arguing with, you know, black friends and getting into debates online um, based on my videos or content that I've, I've uh, presented to people. And one of the things I'd like to try and do is to try and debunk this idea that a certain situation has racism in it, because a lot of times the only thing that people, the only evidence of that is that you have a white police officer and a, and a black victim. If the black person ends up dying at the hands of police, oh, it must be racism. But why couldn't there be another reason? I mean, I look at so many things in, in America. I go to work and I work with white people at my job. And we have no issues until we have, you know, we may have disagreements, mm -hmm. but those disagreements aren't because, you know, the white person is racist. It's because we have disagree because we live life just like anybody else. And you have people who are in interracial relationships every day, and it, maybe they, those are loving relationships. So you have a, a wife and a, and a, and a husband and say they, they divorce. Nobody blames that divorce between an interracial couple on the fact that maybe the white person must have been racist and that's why they got a divorce. So mm -hmm. to, to, to look at these interracial conflicts and to kind of come away from that conflict and say, well, it must be racism sounds ridiculous to me because you need more than that. And I think I try and show people that, look, the only racism here is the racism that the media is injecting or, or that Al Sharpton is injecting or whoever is injecting into that situation. There, there's no evidence of racism. I can't remember a police shooting that has ever shown any evidence of the officer actually being a bona fide racist. So instead we get what people say, oh, well, it's systematic, uh, systemic racism. And, you know, what, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> you know, what do you mean by that? Well, this is how continues to happen to black people. Well, that's, that's still not enough to even say that it's systemic because you need to look at the other variables. But when, what I get when I point these things out, so if I point out that there, you know, people talk about, and then, you know, George, there's a George Floyd. So I point out, okay, there's a Tony Tempa who was a, a white gentleman who got killed in much the same way. And it's on video. Um, it happened in 2017, but the tapes didn't come out until 2019, the video. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't made, you know, it, it didn't go viral. It didn't, it didn't make anybody any money. And the way it was presented wasn't, there was no racial component of the headline when CNN did post about it. They didn't say white man killed by, by cop. Right. <laughs> they just said man killed by cop. And George Floyd is like black man killed by white cop. You know, they, they inject this race into it when mm -hmm. there's no reason to do so. I mean, we're, we're human beings. So, but when I point that out to people, it's like they get 
upset. And the, the question, I mean, you just mentioned this, but why are people getting upset when you disprove racism? I think in, if you were in the 30s, the 40s, 50s, maybe even the 60s, if you disprove that, if you showed, showed people that something wasn't racism, I think they'd be actually relieved because racism was so horrible for those people. Of Today, course. It's, it's a negative thing. Why wouldn't you want it to go away? What would be the benefit of claiming that as if, yes, it's it's still happening and you just you do not want to let it go away? Right. I think, again, there, there's incentive for everybody. And, um, you know, with the with the average Joe, they can say, see, I told you, just like you said, it's, it's, it's a see, I told you moment. And people are because people are always saying, well, racism is the reason why black people are not achieving at the levels of other groups. It, it must be racism. That's the only the only thing that we can harp in on now for all the, the naysayers. They have something to point to and say, see, we told you. This is happening and you have to listen to us. And now we can demand, make all these wild demands and things like that, which, which, which are happening now in real time. We're seeing it right now. Mm -hmm. um, black people are demanding for police officers to have pay cuts and, and even get defunded and police are stepping away mm -hmm. <laughs> and they'll, they'll get what they want. But eventually what we'll, they'll realize is they actually need the police. I think it, it's so hard for me to, to deal with the situations that are happening today because I, I think they may be necessary you to mean, some degree. Just, just to sort of like let people know what would really happen if you got what the, the thing, the elusive thing that you always thought you wanted, you know, that you thought, oh, everything would be good if then, you know, and then get that thing and go, oh, wait, we just realized like, actually, this is not going to help the black communities. This is actually going to hurt the black community. Exactly. Because in the in the history you have instances where, you know, police didn't used to police black neighborhoods because, uh, well, not for homicides. For for, for a long time, uh, black on black homicides were ignored by police officers because they were like, you know, who cares? If in, in a, a right, racist right, time, right, you right. can see that that as making sense. You know, they, they don't care. Because it was let a, them a, kill each other, right? Was that kind exactly. of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So now you're actually asking for this to come back, <laughs> you know. Black people are probably, I think we're the most victimized group in America. So mostly by other blacks. So violent, you look at violent crime victimization rates and blacks have huge, I mean, just huge numbers compared to their, their population in, in, in America. So, you know, we, I think uh, black males make up like 6% of the, the population right. and about 50% of the murder victims. Mm -hmm. So all these homicides and most of those, those, uh, I think about 96% of those homicide cases are by another black person. So that's a huge number. I just was looking at data today um, about New York City, and they were saying like just in this last month alone, the murders have doubled from last year this time. And right. um, I saw that. Yeah, this is New York City, right? So this is like indicative of other major metropolitan areas. And what could potentially happen is you've got, I heard even some 911 calls where people are like at calling for the police and they won't come. And I mean, of course, I've never been in this situation, you know, in my lifetime, I haven't seen it kind of go down this way. In fact, just looking back at the um, Rodney King, and since I was looking this up, you know, last week, I remember I used to, I was recording actually doing music. I was recording in LA at the time. And so we were in that area frequently. I was, I think, probably 13 or 14 or something at the time. And um, and I kind of, you know, vaguely remember it happening, but didn't. I wanted to look back and kind of get more details again. Of course, there's a lot more information now. And so I kind of wanted to go back and revisit it. And they were talking about the riots that happened uh, were for three days. 
three right. days. And, and I'm like, that's all it was. And it's something that's like, everybody remembers this moment in history. And we're looking at what's going on right now. The level of rioting, the, you know, the, the level of disorder that has continued and the, the length of time. This is not something that I have seen. And I, you know, I, I wonder, I often wonder if the quarantine situation really was just like the perfect firewood for this. That if people had jobs and were in school and doing their regular life things and they could not take time away to get involved in certain things, that if we would not quite be in the situation we are, and that's kind of what makes me think there might be more to this, as if um, somebody or a group of people were aware that, you know, people were getting restless and this was a time. I mean, I feel like, in my opinion, I feel like America wanted to protest, you know, people were literally, they're fearful, they're angry, they're, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their businesses, they're being held almost like on house arrest. We really didn't have a lot of control over our lives at that point. We're not able to go through life like we're used to going through. All these things have happened over the last several months that have created a state of internal chaos. And it almost felt like it just needed a thing to really like go to that next level and I kind of feel like the level of protesting and what we've seen in response to the George Floyd incident isn't really all about the George Floyd incident. Um, I feel like there's a lot of other stuff mixed into that that's kind of creating this desire for, oh, we're going to have these autonomous zones and we're going to defund the police and we're going to have no order anymore. It's just going to be we're in control, chaos, et cetera. I mean, like, I just don't remember in my lifetime, you know, a situation like this. But then again, we've never been on quarantine like this. And just it, it kind of feels to me like there's a lot going into the state that we are right now. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that people were getting a little restless <laughs> And this gives them the opportunity to to get out and, and do something. I mean, if you're you're stuck in the house all this time and and, and people are, are scared and, you know, there's not much to do. They're not sure if they're going to be able to work, you know, when this is over. People are, are probably rightfully angry. And then mm -hmm. then then you have this this these events that happen and, and it gives you an opportunity to go out. It gives you an opportunity to express that anger. You know, I don't think all of these protesters, you know, you ask 10 protesters the, same, the question as why they're out there and they'll give you 10 different answers. When you're focusing on um, maybe inauthentically focusing on race relations, then we're really missing the real issue, the real issues, the real cases of racism, the real cases of racial inequality, the real solutions to race relations in this country, the real solutions to helping the black community, the real solutions to making an actual change, not just putting the banner up of, look, I support black lives. I don't care if you're Amazon or Vans or whatever big corporation. That's not making a change. That's not really facilitating an actual solution. But nobody wants to really talk about the real issues that get the black community to a position where they are being marginalized or victimized. Right. When you talk about marginalization or, or you know, victimization, I, I don't see a lot of it, <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't see a lot of, of marginalization. So we have to, you have to be very clear and specific with me for me to be able to buy into that idea that there, there's, there's this overwhelming marginalization of black people. Mm-hmm. Because to you, in I, your experience, you don't see you don't see it. What? Where do you think it is happening, or where do you think it's not happening? Where everybody tells you it's happening. 
I, I actually did a video that, that basically said if there is systemic racism, it's happening on the left. It's not happening on the right. And some of those things are in policy. So where you, and, but these policies aren't, aren't directed specifically at black people either. They're, they're, they're just policies that happen to affect everyone, but they disproportionately impact black communities. So policies, you know, the welfare policies, some are like uh, affirmative action policies. So, so where there's any policy where standards are lowered for black people, I think, I think basically I, I use the basic definition of racism. When I, when I think about racism, I look at the, the textbook definition, which is one group thinking that another group is, is uh, inferior. So that doesn't mean hate. That doesn't mean dislike. You don't have to be a hateful individual to be a racist, if that's the definition, right? You can be someone who says that they care. So, and that bears itself out in these policies. So if you think that uh, a black person needs to be let into college with, with lesser grades, to me, you think the black person is inferior, so they need that extra that extra, you know, push for the great, you know, that, what, what do they call it when they, they basically give you a little bit more points for just being black? Because it's almost like saying you're incapable of doing this. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that. The same thing with the, the voter ID laws. You know, there's all this talk about voter ID laws and that black people can't get, uh, can't get an ID as easily as, as whites. Well, my, the, the main idea is that blacks are, are in part, there's so many blacks in poverty. Well, I always point out, well, aren't there more whites in poverty? You were using this argument a long time ago when people talked about black poverty. You said, oh, well, there's more whites in poverty. Well, if there's more whites in poverty, why do they not have the ID problem? And there are more whites in rural areas where they can't get an ID, so they don't have public transportation, where in the big city you would have public transportation, and most black people live in in more um, city spaces. So to say that black people can't get an ID more so that, than whites can't get an ID. The idea to me is, it seems more harmful than it is good, but it, it serves a purpose, I suppose, if you're, if you're, you're a politician. Well, see, and I think this whole idea of the difference of a definition of something so important as it relates to this discussion is obviously a, a big part of the problem. Because if you don't view, you know, if everybody's viewing the word racism differently, and if what right. that means to people is different, then the people that are violating others because of racism would be different. And the actions that are taking as a result of racism would be different. All these things would be different because you'd be judging everything and looking through the lens differently because the definition would be different. And I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the reason why there, there's now, um, I think Miriam Webster, just a few days ago, um, was asked by... Someone, a college student, I believe it was, to change the definition. I believe that she had been in several debates online and said that, that you know, white people were using the, the, the definition against her. And she wanted Miriam Webster to change the definition to include, I guess, I feel like it was power and maybe systemic racism. Hmm. And um, Miriam Webster is, is looking into it. They said they're going to change it. So what does that mean when you can just go and change a definition? Mm-hmm to accommodate your argument. You have that much power, but supposedly black people don't have that much power. But it seems like in this day and age, you have, you know, all these white people who white people are being shot by police officers more so than blacks, but they don't have marches. They don't have uh, mainstream media coverage. You have all these things that that um, 
Amazon.com, Netflix are doing to promote these black um, films and to promote, you know, just black activism in general. And that seems to me like you have plenty of power. Right now, you could you could tell you can basically you're telling governments to defund the police and they're considering it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a lot of power because because we need police officers to this idea that you don't have power doesn't make sense to me. And then, then that you would go and, and try to change definitions and, and they would change the definition for you. You have all kinds of power. So that just goes against the idea that that, that you even need to change the definition. <laughs> Would somebody maybe say, well, the only reason we have this power is because we protested and we rioted and we, we let people know that we weren't backing down on this and they had to listen because we had to go to that extent. What if somebody said that as a response? Oh, they are saying it. I've, I've seen that on my timeline on, on Facebook and other social media and I've had arguments and uh, that's infor- unfortunate. I think that gaining power by intimidation is... is is it's there's something I, I just don't like about that i think that um all the morals that one time you know the civil rights movements railed against you know when you look at uh, martin luther king in that era they railed against immoral behavior well what happens when you become what happens when you start using those same immoral behaviors to me it's it's not it, do, it doesn't make you any better i think that i think that I don't know. I, there, I think there are other ways to, to change these things. And that's if things need to be changed at all, you know, or if, I, they, I know if things are the way that people say they that, say they, that are, they are, that, re, yeah, that require yeah. the change in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting to say that gaining power by intimidation, which to me would also maybe include violence. It's ironic to use that to try to get change because that's literally the thing that they're fighting against. They're right. fighting against people and like police brutality, right? Fighting against cops who are using their power and intimidation to, you know, against somebody else. So the cops are right. gaining power by using intimidation. That's that's part of the whole crux of the issue, uh, you know, according <laughs> that, according to this, right? And then and right. then to be to to be using the same thing to try to gain power through intimidation. It, it might seem like it's different, but under everything, it kind of seems like it's it's relatively the same. Exactly. That, that's, that pretty much sums it up. Okay, we're going to stop here with episode one with Chi Brown, and we're going to continue this in episode two, where we can learn more about the diversity in which he grew up in and how that shaped his particular perspective on the issues of Black community, Black culture, and race relations. And we'll go in deeper to kind of some of his ideas on politics and as it relates to the way that the race issue is being presented to the public. Thanks again for listening to What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. I'll catch you next time.